For nearly 2,000 years, Christians have been looking for and longing for the day of Christ's return. Uh, As long as we have been looking forward to his return, there have been countless predictions, countless predictions of when that day will come. I have some to share with you. Uh, Ignatius was a Christian who lived in the second century, and he predicted in 110 AD, he said, the last days are upon us, weigh carefully the times, Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. So in 110 AD, this is just a couple of decades after the book of Revelation was written, uh, he was looking forward to the return of Christ in his lifetime. So that was, what, 1900 years ago? Okay. Um, In 236, a church leader named Hippolytus said that Jesus would return by 500 AD. He was off by a couple of centuries. Uh, Here's another quote. There is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born. Firmly established in his early years, he will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. No doubt. The, and that was in 375 A.D. Okay? Uh, the years between 999 and 1030 A.D. were characterized by spe- excessive speculation about Christ's second coming among Christians, so much so that it led to social chaos. As farmers didn't plant crops for the next year, buildings weren't repaired, and the details of daily life were neglected because they thought Christ would return in their lifetime. We're not going to plant crops this year. Jesus is coming back. Okay? Everybody's hungry. Protestant reformer Martin Luther said, We've reached the time of the white horse and of the apocalypse. This world will not last any longer than another hundred years. That was in the 1500s. Uh, None other than Christopher Columbus said that the world would end by 1656. The year 1666, that's one with three sixes, 666, you know, mark of the beast. A lot of speculation about Christ's return. One pastor wrote in his journal that every time a storm hit, his parishioners would go to the church building to await Jesus' second coming. Because this is the safest place to be when Jesus comes back. You don't want Jesus to find you anywhere else. In the 1800s, a pastor by the name of William Miller said, I am fully convinced that somewhere between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844, Christ will come. That was uh, 160 years ago. Uh, Many walked away from their faith because of his errant prediction. Many people said uh, when he was wrong, when when Christ didn't come back by 1844, they left the faith. Many experts in the early 1980s said that the rapture of the church would happen in 1981. And then, of course, there was Y2K and all the doomsday soothsayers. And, of course, this one here, the Bible guarantees Christ returns May 21st, 2011. Nope. So all of these predictions have one thing in common. They're all wrong. Absolutely, positively, 100% wrong. The Bible tells us that no one knows when Jesus will return. Nobody knows. The Father knows. Nobody else knows when Christ will return. But the one thing it does tell us is that Christ will indeed return. Jesus Christ will come back. He will return. There is no doubt about that. Jesus Christ will come again. We do know that he will return. We started a new series here last week on heaven called Going Home. And it's all about uh, what heaven is going to be like and how we get there uh, and uh, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And and that's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, We are going to be uh, 
like last week we talked about how Jesus went to, is going to prepare a place for us. In John chapter 14, we talked about the, the in my father's house are many rooms. And we talked about the, the father's house last week. Uh, today, uh, we are talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, as we talk about uh, Christ's return, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? Now, Paul talks about, in this passage, Paul talks about what is known as the rapture. It is the Latin, it comes from the Latin word rapturo, uh, which literally means to be caught up, to be caught up. And, and that comes from uh, the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, many people believe, thanks to a certain set of fictional books, uh, that there is going to be a secret rapture of the church. This, this theology is a couple hundred years old. Uh, that there's going to be the secret rapture of the church and that airplanes will be unmanned, uh, vehicles will go careening off the highway uh, because Jesus is secretly going to come back and all the Christians are going to secretly disappear and planes are going to fall out of the sky as Christian pilots everywhere ascend into heaven. Um, we're going to see something today that, that I think disproves that, that, that there's not a secret rapture of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be a rapture of the church. There is a rapture. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. This Latin word, rapturo. Uh, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We'll talk about that. Uh, but as far as it's, uh, whether it is a secret or not, I, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. Um, the main point of this passage that we're going to look at today is not trying to discern dates and times. But rather, the main point of today's passage, 1 uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 through 1 Thessalonians 5.11, is encouragement. Uh, The Thessalonians were confused. Uh, Paul tells them, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's going to happen when Christ returns. So there was confusion and ignorance. And Paul's trying to alleviate that and clear that up. So this passage is not about times and dates, but rather it is about encouragement. And we're going to talk about that today. So grab your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're going to pick it up there in just a few moments. Uh, And uh, grab your bulletin, turn to page 3 to the handy-dandy outline. You can fill in some blanks in just a second. I'll let you get that. Grab your your Bible and your bulletin, and we will talk about the encouragement uh, that we get from knowing that Jesus is going to come back. Uh, The first blank on your outline is the encouragement of Christ's return. The encouragement of Christ's return. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13 through verse 18. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those, excuse me, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words, the words of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 are so rich and full of encouraging thoughts, so uh, full of encouraging teachings. Our faith in Jesus Christ is built on the solid rock of truth 
that Jesus came in the flesh, that, that God came in the flesh, the Son of God came, that he lived a perfect life, never sinned in any way, though he was tempted in every way. He died on a Roman cross to forgive our sins, and then he was raised on the third day and ascended into heaven where we know he will come back from there. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God uh, set up a system of sacrifice uh, for the forgiveness of people. And you would take a, an unblemished lamb once a year and you would sacrifice the lamb uh, and your sins would be atoned for, uh, would be forgiven. The lamb would take the punishment for your sins, essentially. Now, the Bible tells us, though, that the blood of bulls and goats, the, the, the blood of animals is insufficient for taking away the sins of humanity once and for all. Animals do not equal people. They don't. Okay? Animals do not equal people. There had to be a better way. And God promised that he would send a Messiah to save his people. And that was Jesus. Jesus came. He lived a perfect, unblemished, sinless life. Never sinned in any way. He was the perfect, acceptable sacrifice for the sins of people. And when Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life, he sacrificed his life on the cross. He took our punishment that we deserved. The punishment of wrath that we deserve, God poured out all his wrath on Jesus when he heaped our sins upon him. And he became the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, our sins can be forgiven. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So blood has to be shed in the equation of forgiveness and salvation. Blood must be shed in order for there to be forgiveness. Jesus was willing to shed his blood on, a, on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And that is exactly what happens. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls, for the forgiveness of our sins, and when we put our faith in him, when we believe that he is the Son of God and that he died for our sins, when we repent from our sins, which means to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness, when we confess our faith publicly and we are baptized by immersion, our sins are forgiven, our sins are washed away, we call upon the name of the Lord and our sins are gone completely. Past, present, future, washed away done with how awesome is that what an amazing plan of salvation that god has ordained our sins are forgiven and we have hope and that's what today's sermon is all about is the encouragement of hope that we can have hope in jesus christ that we can have hope for eternity uh, the biblical concept of hope is not a wish upon a star and not a little cricket singing on your shoulder okay the, the biblical concept of hope is a confident expectation a confident expectation that something is going to happen, that you know it's going to happen. And that's what heaven is. It is our hope. It is our confident expectation that Jesus, uh, that Jesus will return is our confident expectation. That is our hope. We know that he will come back because that is what he said he would do. He said he would come back. Well, in 1 Thessalonians, we know that the Thessalonians had a lot of questions about what would happen when Jesus returned. One of their questions was, what about those believers who had died in the Lord? What about people who were believers in Jesus and they died? What was going to happen to them? What was going to happen when Jesus came back? Paul says clearly that they will rise. When Jesus returns, they will rise first from their graves. Their spirits will be reunited with their bodies. Their bodies will rise from the earth. And so we may ask, well, what about those who are cremated or those bodies who have decayed? What, what happens or, or bodies that are lost at sea? Well, what happens to those? I read this in a commentary. 
God created us from nothing. He created us out of the dust. And he can put us back together. Right? He's got the power to do that. And he can do that. So don't you worry about a thing. Whatever happens to you, God will put you back together when Christ returns. Now the thing that we need to keep in mind about this whole secret rapture business is that when Christ returns, uh, we are told that it will be a visible and an audible event. It's not going to be this secret, you know, and it's not going to be this, where did everybody go? You know, it, it is a visible and an audible event. Here, I, I want to read a passage of scripture for you from Revelation 1.7. Says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. That when Christ comes back, it will be a visible event. We will see Jesus when he returns, when he comes on the clouds in power and glory. There are also three audible signs of his return. The first is a shout. Some of the uh, some translations translate it as a shout. Some say it is a, a loud command. Others say it is a, a commanding shout. But in other words, the first there will be a there will be a loud sound. There will be a shout when Christ returns. Uh, the second, we will hear the voice of the archangel. I want to hear this. I want to know what that sounds like. What does the voice of the archangel sound like? Uh, you know, it's I. It could be like Michael Buffer before a, a boxing match. Oh, let's get ready to rapture. Probably not. <laughs> but wouldn't that be something? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Oh, wow. You know. Uh, so there's going to be a, a command, a, a loud command, a shout, uh, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. How many trumpet players do I got? Anybody play the trumpet? My wife plays the trumpet. And, and, and when, when a trumpet... Uh, hits that loud note, uh, that high note, the, you know, it is ear piercing. I was a trombone player. Okay, low brass, better than high brass. Okay, sorry to my trumpet players, sorry to my wife. Um, but the, the, the ear piercing sound of a trumpet, it's going to be loud. When Jesus comes back, it will be visible, it will be audible, and it will be loud. We will know, the world will know when Jesus comes back. They will know when he has returned. And when he does come back, the dead in Christ will rise first, be reunited with their spirits, and those who are still living will be caught up, raptured, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now there's so much debate about when is this going to happen. There's all kinds of talk about tribulations and millenniums and millennium falcons. For Star Wars fans. You may as well be talking about Millennium Falcons. Because it really doesn't matter. And there are Christians who say, I will not fellowship with these other Christians. Because they don't believe the same things about when Christ is going to come back. That is crazy. That is foolishness. To say, I don't want to be with you because I'm right and you're wrong. Christianity is not being about more right than other Christians. Christianity is about believing and trusting in Jesus, believing and trusting in the truth. What you need to know, what I need to know, is that Jesus is going to come back. That's what we need to know. Whether it happens pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation, uh, if you're amillennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, I am pro-millennial. I am for the 1,000-year reign of Christ, whether that's a literal number or a figurative number, I am for the reign of Jesus. That's what I am. I am for the return and the reign of Jesus Christ. That is what I'm all about. 
I know that when Christ returns, that that will be the end. And that we will go uh, to be with him. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, like I said, there's a lot of debate. And it's very discouraging. Uh, There is a lot of... uh, fighting and and Christians who won't fellowship with one another and that's very discouraging the whole point of this passage is to encourage us the point of Jesus's return and and talking about it and preaching about it and, and Paul writing about it was to encourage us that we should be encouraged with the thought of the return of Christ and as the day draws nearer this is so important as the day of Christ's return draws nearer as the Um, the time comes when Jesus returns and as persecution increases, and I think we're seeing an increase, a, a definite increase in persecution as persecution comes. And as Christ's return grows nearer, we need to encourage each other. We need to strengthen each other. That word encouragement uh, in the Greek literally means to strengthen or to build up. We need to strengthen each other as we see the day approaching because there's coming a darkness. The darkness is coming. And it is going to be very hard to be a Christian. It is going to be very hard to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not sold out, if you're not committed, if you're not dedicated, you may fall away. We need to encourage each other in our walk with Christ. We need to encourage one another and strengthen one another. Christ is coming. He will return. He will take us home. So let us strengthen and encourage each other with these words that he is coming and that he will return. Amen? The second blank on your outline is the encouragement of heaven. The encouragement of heaven. In in, in verse 17, it simply says, So we will be with the Lord forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. What an awesome promise. What an amazing promise. That one day we will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever it will never end that day that day signals the beginning of our eternal life that the, that day signals the beginning of the enemy's eternal death that is the day when sins and strife and struggles will be over there will be no more diseases and no more distress there will be no more tears no more trials no more troubles no more tribulations There will be no more cancer. There will be no more MS. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more diabetes. There will be no more depression. There will be no more bipolar disorder. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more problems. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. Because that is the day when Jesus comes back. And that is the day when we will truly see him face to face. That is the day when we will be more alive than we've ever been. Whether we pass away before that day or whether we are alive when Christ returns, we will be fully alive. That is the day when forever begins with Jesus. Could there be any more encouraging words? Could there be any more encouraging thought to know that when we stand before him free and forgiven that we will be welcomed into heaven and we will live with him forever and ever? We will see pearly gates. We will see streets of gold. We will see the faces of loved ones who have died in the Lord. We will see angels bowing down and praising God. We will see Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.
He's coming again. And we will see him face to face. And we will be with him forever and ever. Amen. The last blank on your outline is the encouragement of salvation. The encouragement of salvation. Look with me at, at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, listen for that, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, But let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Paul reminds us how to live. We're followers of Jesus. We are followers of Christ. We are Christians. We, should, we wear the name of Christ. Everywhere we go, we wear the name of Jesus. Everywhere we go, we are Christians. And we should live as such. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we must be self-controlled. And we must be alert. Let's talk about alert for just a moment. We need to uh, be aware and alert of the signs of Jesus' return. We do not know the dates. We do not know the time. We don't know when he's going to return, but we know that he will return. But he has left us signs. He has left us uh, markers to know when he is coming. How many of you have ever gone hiking? And how many of you like left little markers so you know your way back? You ever do that? You just leave a little marker so you know uh, if I if if I get lost, I can look for my marker um, and and I'll know where to go. I'll know the way home. Um, I'm not a hiker. I'm not hiking. Uh, I, I don't even like to climb stairs. I prefer to take an escalator, let alone hike through the woods. But if I were to be a hiker, I would want to leave little marks so I know. This is my way back home. Jesus has left us markers. He has left us signs. He has left us marks so that we can know when he's going to return. That we will know when the day is approaching. He has not left us ignorant. So we need to be alert. We do do not belong to the night, but rather we belong to the day. We need to be aware of the signs of the return of Christ as it approaches. Not be surprised by it. Like I said, we cannot know the date, we cannot know the time of his coming, but we can see the signs of his return. And as we see the signs of his return, as we are made aware that Jesus is coming soon, we need to be self-controlled. We need to control ourselves. We need to control our passions. We need to control our addictions. We need to control ourselves, whether it be uh, uh, lustful desires, drunkenness, addictions, language, uh, whatever we are struggling with in our sin. In, uh, in our sins, we need to be a self-controlled. Uh, next year, I'm going to do. I, I'm working on my preaching calendar for next year. I'm going to do a sermon series called Selfie, and it's going to be about self-discipline, self-control, selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-sacrifice. I'm very excited. It's kind of cool. I, it's not just a pretty box, but 
Like I said, so we need to live lives that are self-controlled. Tony is about to lose it over here. We need to live lives that are self-controlled. We need to live lives of faith, hope, and love, as Paul says. He says it right there in 1 Thessalonians 5. Put on uh, faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Faith, hope, and love. These are the lives that we are to live. Lives of faith, hope, and love. We are to wear these things as we would wear armor into a battle. We will not receive, Paul says, we will not receive God's wrath, but rather he poured it out on Christ on the cross. We have the promise of salvation, and the good news is nothing can take you out of God's hand. The only one who can take you out of God's saving hands is yourself. To say, I don't want it, I don't need it, I don't... I'm not into this anymore. I'm walking away. You're the only one who can snatch yourself out of God's hands. He won't change the rules on you mid-game. We have this promise that we are saved by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And not only are you saved by His grace, but you are kept saved by His grace. Only you can walk away. And God will give you the free will that you can do that if you desire. For the rest of us, let us live lives of hope. Let us live lives of faithfulness. Let us live lives of grace. Let our lives reflect the hope that we have of salvation. And let us strengthen each other and encourage each other and build each other up in our faith. I don't know about you, but I I know I need people to come alongside me. I need people who will strengthen me and encourage me that on those days when I'm feeling down, on those days when I, when I have doubts, on those days when I am struggling with my sinfulness, I need someone to come alongside me and, and pick me up and encourage me and strengthen me and build me up. Are you like that? See, that's what being a family is all about. That's what being a family of believers is about. That we would strengthen each other and encourage each other and build each other up. Not tear each other down, not belittle each other, not stab each other in the back, not gossip about one another. We need to remind each other of the hope that we have. We need to hold each other accountable as brothers and sisters so that we get stronger in our faith. So that we do not belong to the night, that we will belong to the day. So that until Christ returns, we will encourage each other in our salvation. We need each other, folks. We're a family. We're supposed to love each other unconditionally, accept one another, welcome one another, strengthen one another, bear with each other, forgive each other. That's what being a family is all about. And we are a family of believers. And that's what we need to be and to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. In 1871, uh, a priest by the name of Boudreaux wrote a short story called The Happiness of Heaven. It's a story about a a kind-hearted king uh, who is hunting in the forest, and he comes across a a blind, uh, poor orphan boy who is living there. And the king takes this blind orphan into his palace and adopts him as his own son. The king gives to his blind son the finest education and training that money can buy. And the blind son loves his father dearly and is grateful for everything that he has done for him. When the boy is 20 years old, doctors are able to perform a miraculous surgery upon him, and he's able to see for the first time in his life, he's able to see. And this royal prince, who was once a starving orphan, realizes how he has been blessed with the finest of food, fragrant gardens, and lovely music. But when he gains his sight, he doesn't care to look upon the wealth of his father. But rather, he only wants to gaze upon the face of his father. 
the king who saved him, who adopted him, and loved him. You see, when Jesus comes back, when we enter into heaven, I don't want to see golden streets. I don't want to see pearly gates. I don't want to see angels bowing and praising God. I want to see my king because he adopted me, he loved me, he saved me. That's what it's all about. And as we see that day approaching, when Jesus comes back, let us be about the business of encouraging one another, strengthening one another, and building each other up. That's my challenge for you today. My challenge for you today is to build each other up as Christ approaches, to be an encourager of your brothers and sisters in Christ. How can you encourage those around you to live lives of faith, hope, and love? How can you encourage those around you to be self-controlled as the Lord draws near? Maybe to be there for them or to listen to them when they're going through a hard time. Holding someone accountable for their walk with Christ, saying, man, you got to get it together. you got to get it together, man. Hold each other accountable. Forgive someone. Mend those fences that are broken. We need to be encouragers to build each other up and not tear each other down. To strengthen each other, not belittle one another. We need to love each other and to forgive each other because Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming soon. That is the encouragement I have for you today. Let us be encouragers of one another. Build each other up, not tear each other down to strengthen one another as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this encouragement that comes from Paul's words to the Thessalonians. That, Lord, we know that Jesus is coming back, that he is going to return, that one day we will see him coming on the clouds in power and glory. We will hear the, the, the shout. We will hear the command. We will hear the voice of the archangel. We will hear the trumpet call, and we will see Jesus finally face to face. Until that day, I pray that you would help us to be encouragers of one another, to build each other up and strengthen each other, not tear each other down, but that as your children, God, we would love and forgive and bear with and encourage one another. Thank you for this time together today. And now we pray that uh, you would, again, bless the rest of this service and bless us this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray.